Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 77. My name is Ronnie, and I'm joined here with my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian and Voss. And before we get started with the show, let me just give a quick shout out to our two Soccer Subs show sponsors. First one up is Paragon Sports, your premier destination for activewear. They're located on 18th and Broadway here in Manhattan. Go check them out for all your running needs, all your basketball, soccer, baseball equipment, and go give them a follow at Paragon Sports on Instagram. And our second show sponsor, Taqueria 86 an amazing Mexican restaurant. They're located on 94th and Broadway here in Manhattan as well. Go check them out for some amazing tacos, burritos, drinks, the tequila, the mezcal, all the good stuff. And go give them a follow at Taqueria86NY on Instagram. And uh, that's out the way. Christian Voss, how you guys doing? We're officially uh, halfway through October. The months are flying by. How you guys doing? Well, Ronnie, thank you for welcoming us. I think this is a special episode, I think for the wrong reason. But for us, uh, me and Vaz, we have a very special guest in the studio. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the Rebels. It pains me to talk about what happened this Saturday, but we are going to break this game down. And yeah, we're also going to talk about the future of this team. Yeah, looking forward to it. Glad to be back on. We do have a very special guest in-house today. Can't wait to introduce him. And unfortunately, going to have to talk a little Red Bulls and try to find some light. All right. Well, appreciate it, fellas. And yeah, for the MLS fans, we got a big show coming up for you guys today. Like Christian and Voss said, we got a special guest coming on with us here for the podcast. He's the host of the Seeing Red podcast. His name is Mr. Mark Fishkin. He's been covering the MLS and the New York Red Bulls for many, many years. Mark, thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Th- thank you so much for having me. It's really, really great to be here. Yeah, I- I'm an, an OG uh, 1996 Metro Star season ticket holder that when Red Bull Arena opened in 2010, uh, got together with a couple of blogging guys in, in the early days of podcasts and said, hey, the New York Red Bulls get so little attention from the major market media in this town, even back then. Let's put together a weekly podcast so Red Bull fans can have something to react to in between the games. And so 13 years and more than 500 episodes later, Seeing Red, the Seeing Red podcast is still going strong. And we're certainly, I'm certainly happy you guys invited me to to come and chat tonight. Very happy to be here. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you so much. And yeah, before we start talking NYC and the New York Red Bulls, let's get to some MLS news. But first things first, NYCFC beating Inter Miami last night at City Field 3-0. We had goals by Maxi Morales, Gabriel Pereira, and Eber giving NYCFC the win to go to the MLS Eastern Semis. The New York Red Bulls losing at home at Red Bull Arena this past weekend against FC Cincinnati. There were two goals by Lucho Acosta and Brandon Vasquez in the 86th minute. That was a heartbreaking loss for Christian and Vas, but we'll get to that in just a few minutes. NYCFC looking to face off against Montreal, who beat Orlando 2-0 in the playoffs. It will be uh, Montreal coming up for, as the next opponent. That's going to be a very, very tough game. And on the Western side of things, FC Dallas beating Minnesota United in penalties to advance, and the LA Galaxy beating Nashville SC 1-0. We'll face off against LAFC and El Tráfico for an MLS Western semis. So we only have eight 
eight last teams remaining. We can't wait. MLS playoffs have not disappointed. It's been some amazing, amazing action. And Mark, let me just obviously throw it to you. I know Christian and, uh, and the guys want to talk a little bit about the Red Bulls. I think one of our first questions to you was, do you feel it was a huge accomplishment that the Red Bulls even made the playoffs, given that they're kind of overlooked, uh, especially with the young roster that they have? Well, first of all, you said the MLS playoffs did not disappoint. And I'm just going to have to ask you to just put a little hold up right there because, yeah, I, I think I think before the season, the idea that the Red Bulls would not only make the playoffs for the 13th straight season, but they'd host a game, I think would be optimistic based on what Red Bull fans had seen the year before. But there were so many good things that happened during the regular season. The team was consistent. They never lost more than two games in a row for the entire season. They also didn't win more than two games in a row during the regular season. Uh, we saw the emergence of John Tolkien as a regular starter. We saw uh, the, the signing of Lukinas, who for six games in the middle of the season looks like he was going to be the, the league's MVP and then found himself on the back of a milk carton. Um, we had Serge Goma come in, a uh, 17-year-old, score an incredible goal, hurt himself, and wasn't heard from again. There were a number of very, very bright points to this Red Bull season, but, you know, obviously this team has not figured out how to get through two or three playoff rounds in 27 years. And so the way they went out, I think blowing a, a lead at home with 15 minutes left to play, you got to put that on the bingo card, right? They've lost on away goals. They've lost, you know, uh, on penalty kicks. They've lost in 8,000 different ways in the playoffs. Having your leading scorer put the team in the lead and then somehow injure himself celebrating the goal is absolutely so effing Metro. I don't know what to tell you. I, I think the idea that the foul that was called a penalty for Cincinnati, the same thing happened to the Red Bulls earlier in the match. And then Cincinnati brings on Metro killer Sergio Santos, who had done so much damage to this team when he was in Philly over the years. And you watch Aaron Long get outraced to a ball by a much younger man in Brandon, Brandon Vasquez. And, you know, it, it wasn't surprising that the way they went out, it was, I guess, surprising that Red Bull fans would have any hope for anything different. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to touch on, well, first of all, I think you, you mentioned it in the podcast on your earlier episode, how you like Cal Duncan when he came on against Charlotte. And I yeah. think the last 10 minutes of the game was the way I would have loved to start this game. Yeah. Were you surprised by any chance of seeing Andres Reyes playing as a right back? Yeah, considering he hadn't had the assignment ever before in his career. I appreciate the idea of switching things up to try and get us some surprise out of FC Cincinnati. I appreciate the fact of having one more forward midfield player to try and frustrate Cincinnati's counterattacks, but I don't believe that Andre Stratus is the guy to, to get that done. I don't I really don't know if Duncan was picking up had picked up an injury because in my mind he he was doing just fine as that right back spot. And now he goes back to his club in Belgium with, uh, you know, five or six games under his belt and a lifetime of more memories of, of Metro playoff failure. So I, I was baffled. The fact that Struber and his postgame comments seemed to say once again, oh, it's a young team and our expectations were really low. And I understand you have to say something. The guy is not known for a ton of humility. He, he never seems to be the one that is the problem or he never seems to make a mistake. And... Um, I think we needed to hear a little bit of accountability from him after the game on Saturday. 
Yeah, and one of the things that I also kept hearing throughout the season is the team being sexy. And the team being sexy at the end of the season, compared to last year's, where they're coming in hot in the playoffs, the end of the season for the Rebels, it's, we were surprised if they're actually winning the game. Even against Charlotte when we won, it, they really felt like they didn't deserve it. Now, my question is, with the players that you have on this field, what is the foundation of this team? What can you take to 2023? And what are the pieces that we need to focus on for next season? Well, I think, I think first of all, it's evident that the team needs to find a striker, right? And I know a lot of Red Bull fans debated uh, long and hard about whether Patrick Lamala was good or less good. But when you score five goals and you lose your starting job to a 20-year-old kid from Brazil late in the season, you're not good enough to play in this league. He's just not good enough to play in the league. Um, he's a prima donna. He's a basket case. Enough. I'd like to see him moved, leave him on the side of the highway, uh, what have you. Aaron Long, for my money, is not coming back to this team. He's a free agent. Uh, he wants to go back to California, where he's from, and I don't anticipate him being in a Red Bulls uniform again. John Tolkien, I can see him being sold in the offseason. Christian Caceres, I can see him being sold in the offseason. New York really missed Caceres down the stretch and in the playoff game after he picked up a leg infection traveling to, uh, to the Venezuelan national team. So who's the core? I mean, we know that Sean Ellis had signed up. Uh, we know that Andres Reyes is still young. Um, we know that Lewis Morgan will be back again. Wiki Carmona, I think, lost a year with a lot of injuries, so I think he'll be back. Luquinhos will be back, so I think it's it's up to the team to figure out a way to get more out of him because he was invisible the second half of the season. So, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't good players on this team. There are, but, you know, once again, when you're the lowest payroll in the league and you're, you're really just going young, 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 as we've seen, as we saw in the Open Cup semifinal against Orlando and as we saw here against Cincinnati, without real veteran leadership, and I don't know, I mean, Aaron Long is veteran leadership, but he certainly didn't get the job done this year. The team just showed itself to be mentally weak and to be frank. And, you know, they didn't have, while they, they while Struber went deep into his bench, there wasn't that type of game changer off the bench akin to a player like Sergio Santos for Cincinnati, because when he came into the game, everything changed. Yeah. And, and you know, just going back to that second goal, I feel like we are a young team, but I go back to that Giorgio Chiellini, I think when he pulled Saka in the final. And why didn't we do that? You know, and I'm just trying to understand because Dylan Nealis came into the game yeah. in a difficult time. And yeah. he, had, he had tried to adjust. Reyes is injured. And we can only ask so much of our players. He gets a lot of hate. And sometimes he, he gets does. a lot of criticism. Yeah, I think he's an important player to keep. But he's absolutely, I don't think he's absolutely in the starting role starting 2023. And just in my honest opinion, I think uh, ever since Tom Edward left, that right wing, nobody can nobody can take over. There's no player who can actually come in and say, this is my position and nobody's taking me out. Cameron Halper tried and, and nothing happened. Well, Harper got hurt, sadly, but I believe I agree with you. And we talked about it on Seeing Red and I talked about it in other places. When Edwards left... He was the hard man that every team need, needs. He, he was, although they played different positions, he was Felipe, right, of that mid-teens Red Bull uh, run where he was the guy that everyone hated. He got it under everyone's skin. 
He bled for the team. He was the kind of guy that every team needs to be successful. And without him, not only in his position, but also his fire on the field, something was missing. And, you know, I don't begrudge Tom. And again, the story hasn't necessarily been told publicly, but from what I understand, his girlfriend back in the UK was pregnant with their first kid and he needed to be there for whatever reason. And so it happens, I guess. But it, it was very detrimental to the team because even though he wasn't the oldest guy on the team, he really had that bite that New York missed down the stretch. Vaz, I, I have something to ask you. Maybe Mark can help uh, chime in as well. But I, I feel like for the most times, this team lacks a vision on how to build championship teams. And there were so many moments during the season where we could have acquired players to help this team probably grow and strengthen their the positions that we needed help in. What do you think about the management side? What, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? Well, amazing points from everyone. And I just like to add, you're telling me that Tom Barlow isn't a quality striker to win MLS Cup? Come on, guys. <laughs> Some faith. But no, no, in all honesty, I think management has shot themselves in the foot with some of their latest comments because you start the season saying that this team is young. You don't expect much. And the halfway point after you're on a good run of form, you're saying that the boys are playing good. Like you said, they're playing sexy where everyone's feeling confident, but how did we end the season? We we won, I think, two of our last... We lost four of our last six. And he took, like Mark said, no blame. He's just deflecting things left and right, trying to put it on this young squad, which at one point in the season, he was praising. And I think with John Tolkien signing that contract extension, that left wing back spot is looking good. And I think one of the key moments, I don't know if you remember this, when we were at... Red Bull Arena, we saw Matt Miazga before he joined Cincy. And I was like, he's the, we needed a center back because <laughs> Aaron Long was not looking all that great, you know? Yeah. So we had specifically asked him, yo, when are you going to come back to the Red Bulls? And he, with a smile on his face, said, when they pay me more. Yeah. He ended up that. in Cincinnati and ended up scoring a, game, a goal on us on his game back to Red Bull Arena. But I think with the lack of any sort of ambition from your head coach, what's the team going to feel like? If your head coach is throwing you under the bus, you're expecting a young team to play motivated. And the, the way that we exited these playoffs was a summary of how our season went. Individual mistakes, the right wing back spot isn't exactly a staple on, you know, no one knows who's starting. Like Mark said, the, the most Metro thing that could have happened to us ended up happening to us with our best player in MVP, I think of the season pulling up with a groin injury right after scoring on our best play of the match. And I don't know how we could have changed our fate other than maybe stick to your original formation, try to stick guys in, form, in, in a position that they're able to succeed in. Cause having Reyes as a right back, I remember with that first cross that he sent into the box, it was to <laughs> no man's land. And I don't think I would have started Kyle Duncan. I don't think he's shown too much on both the offense or defense since he's come back to the team on loan. And I would have really liked to see Neela start. And maybe once Cincinnati's a little bit energy is dropping, you bring on a, a high-flying player like Duncan. And another key figure that was missing in our midfield was, was Christian Gossett Jr. I think that unfortunate infection that he picked up on his leg is a summary of how little uh we have in our midfield that can 
have some sort of bite because Frankie Maya is a nice player. He could pass the ball very pretty, but we don't have play both ends of that role defensively and offensively. We saw shades of that with Daniel Edelman, but do, do you want to put your faith in a playoff game on a 17, 18 year old? I personally would not. But well, well, let me let me let me just ask you something because we're talking about a little bit about tactics right now. And Lewis Morgan comes out injured. Was it the right decision to play to bring on Dylan Neelis? Because you're losing an attack and forward, and then you decide to just sit back and wait and see what happens instead of you know who who can you bring in? So I've said it many times: the Red Bulls are strongest when they don't have the ball, but defending for your life isn't something that we've done well. We tend to shoot ourselves in the foot whenever we try to hold the lead, whether it's in Austin that we just barely got out of that game with a win, or it's Columbus a few weeks ago, or it's the Colorado shambles. And I just don't think, tactically speaking, we had the players to try to sit back and defend. Even though it's the Red Bull system, you know, like give the other team the the, the ball and let us just press them to all hell. But I think Struber got it wrong tactically. But we also didn't have the players to back up his style of, of play. I mean, Mark, we can't expect a defense from minute 50. No, we and we shouldn't have to defend from minute 50. But I, at the time, knowing how explosive they were, perhaps it seems unlikely that they're going to hold off a team that has that strong an attack for that long. But, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you guys. I mean... Maybe this team was a year ahead of schedule. It's Struber's last year in 2023, if he stays. I don't think Tolkien's going to be here. I think they signed them to protect the asset, and I think he'll be sold, uh, whether before the season starts or or, or uh, in July. You know, when you get when you land on in the top 10 of that 22 under 22 list, as Tolkien did, the league has you in the shop window for a reason, right? I mean, they're they're looking to recoup uh, their investment in the academies and all that good stuff. So I'm not sure I'm going to see it. I think. The bigger issue, guys, as we know, is, you know, 8,000 people showed up for this game. And it's the first home playoff game in four years. And the the fans that came saw a horrendous collapse in a pressure knockout situation. And yes, the South Ward was full and loud and proud, and uh, that's fantastic. But I, I can't say anyone walked away from the experience thinking that these guys are on the, on the right path. And... As someone who's been here a bit, it's you know it may be a nadir for the team to be playing basically in front of supporters, friends, and family on a nationally televised game. And it, it appears to me that you know since since the run of Shield since the Shield era, which I call 2013 to 2018, and obviously yes, COVID has had a major impact. Absolutely, and it can't be denied. The front office has almost moved away from a player-based, you know, here are your guys, these are your local guys that are here fighting for you, because by and large, any player, well, we know the team has had four straight captains depart the, the team, either through trade or guys that walked away, and I expect Aaron Long to do the same. You know, they sent Bradley away. Um, Sean Davis chose to walk away. I just feel like there's a lack of connection right now between the fan base and the players and the team. And I, I think the, the front office is relying on gimmicky stuff 
selling, bringing Barcelona in and selling combined packages for three or four more games, or it's fireworks night, or it's t-shirt night, or it's, it's get a free this night, because I don't think that they have something to really sell, which is your players that are that you know that have been here for years fighting for you because they haven't been there for years. They haven't. No, that was an incredible point. And me and Christian actually had a little conversation earlier in the day that had to do with uh, the captains departing and Sean Davis came up in that mix as well. And it's crazy. I think, uh, like you said, the the team not only had a combination of not big name players, but guys who really earned a place on this team through their hard work. Guys like Mike Grella, that local guy as well, Bradley Wright Phillips, who was practically adopted by, you know, the tri-state area. And we really had that connection. Guys like Connor Laid, I've always, you know, loved seeing on the field. And with all these players, I feel departing, it does, we have that lack of identity with the fan base. But would you think that with the kickoff being so early, it may have affected the playoff games attendance that day? Because I know throughout the last few years, I myself went from attending every game at home to just four, you know, so I, I don't want to say I'm part of the problem, but, you know, it's it's hard to make that hour and 40 minute trip when you know that the, the team isn't showing anything to its fans. And I don't think the, the gimmicky stuff has worked as well. I don't think a, a free bucket hat is going to change uh, several years of playoff. I like the bucket hat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I I agree that the noon Saturday kickoff is really tough, and it's tough for families of young soccer players, right, who are not going to miss a game in their youth league because of this playoff game. Um, Univision, they were the ones that directed this game to be uh, Saturday at noon, and starting next season with Apple TV, that shouldn't be an issue, right, because there are no TV windows it's literally we're going to play the games when we want to play the games. And so, you know, perhaps that goes away. And 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 obviously when you, you schedule the game basically the week before, it means that a lot of people that were season ticket holders, see, uh, you know, that, that may or may not be able to attend, they can't come. I was, I was uh, not there. I was able to sell my tickets. Um, and so my, my seats were spoken for. We were able to catch the game where we were due to a prior commitment. It just kind of is what it is. But, you know, I agree. You know, you had mentioned Bradley Wright Phillips. You had mentioned Connor Laid. Bradley Wright Phillips was here for part of six seasons. Connor Laid was on this team for nearly a decade. Fans don't root for systems, and they don't root for pressing, and they don't root for energy drink soccer. They root for other human beings. And Dax and Sasha and Bradley and Lloyd Sam and Felipe and Luis Robles were names that people could come and follow year after year after year. Now, obviously, that's got to turn over because these players aren't immortal. But when you play for a team that doesn't have any 30-year-olds on it, other than Ryan Mara, you have a whole universe of fans that come to the stadium and they say, I know two out of 11 players on this team. And that's not a way to build long-term connection to the team. You look at NYCFC, and I know that there are others on this podcast that are eager to talk about NYCFC, but their core have been playing together for years, right? And that is a big reason 
for their success, right? It's Sean Johnson and uh, Alexander Kynes and um, Maxi Morales, who I know is long in the tooth and probably this is his last ride into the sunset. And, you know, the, the middle five or six guys, they just know how to play together because they've been playing together for years. And so, and the fans respond to those players. So, you know, I don't know how how they're going to turn it around, but they what they should do is focus on the personalities and make some decisions to hold on to people and find a striker that can score and, and ask pretty please for everyone to come back. I don't know. And Mark, I'm sorry. Do you think that we should exercise that 1.5 million option, Manuel? Because I know we're kind of talking about systems. I just don't see him outscoring even Barlow, to be honest. I know he's, I think in his two goals that he scored, he accounted for over 20% of our total strikers goals this season. But (laughs) I wouldn't put all my money in the Emmanuel Manuel basket just yet. I mean, listen, when you're so far under the salary cap and Red Bull made, what, $8 billion last year, so I don't necessarily have an issue with it. If I'm Tom Barlow, I'm may, perhaps I'm hoping that Red Bull leaves me unprotected in the expansion draft so I can go home to St. Louis and play for St. Louis SC next year in front of friends and family on a, on a weekly basis. I mean, listen, Barlow's hit his ceiling, right? The, Barlow is not – I really think Tom Barlow is a fantastic human being. I've had the opportunity to speak with him multiple times. He will not get better. He's not going to be a 12-goal scorer in this league. He's not, and that's okay because leagues are filled with guys like him, right, who works incredibly hard, and he's big, and he takes up space, and he can come on for 10 minutes and hold the lead by pressing and running and doing all those things, and maybe he'll score, and maybe he won't. He's kind of like Brian Shing. I found him to be a very kind of Brian Shing type attacker where, you know, yeah, you're going to get some goals, but that's not really why you have him on in any case. Manuel, he's still he's 20. He's a he's learning. I mean, I think I would like him to be better. I'm sure he would like to be better. I, I he I think he's probably very happy to be here. I think the New York Red Bulls, from a player perspective, is probably a lot more attractive than Gremio, despite it being a storied, you know, Brazilian team. I think it's probably a lot nicer and easier for the players to be living and training in the United States and working. So yeah, but we shall see. Mark, I just had a quick question. Um, I know you brought up NYC, but on our podcast, we've talked about the New York Red Bulls attendance problems. And I know my colleagues here, they felt a little defeated over the past few seasons where, you know, it's not getting any better. I was just curious to ask you, I know you've been covering the team for a lot for, for many years. Um, yep. If your ownership, how do you, Red Bulls ownership, how do you how would you kind of go about just fixing that attendance problem, making the team more appealing. I know you mentioned about focusing more on on players and everything, but could there be anything more that the team can do? Because I feel like now now that MLS is growing so much and you have a neutral fan that might be picking between NYC and Red Bull, they might go with maybe a, the team that's, oh, they just, they, they've been having recent success with the Campeones Cup and the Cup from last year. Just curious how you would kind of approach a neutral fan as a, you know, hey, come to this side, come to the red side. Yeah, I mean, I think the arena is is the selling point, um, frankly. And I think that because right now, you know, you have a team that will be competitive, right? I don't see Struber changing up the strategy of the team. So the team will always be a competitive team. And again, you can't thumb your nose at 13 straight years in the playoffs. But, you know, maybe they just shouldn't, shouldn't sell 
<laughs> maybe they shouldn't tell the fans there are playoffs. Maybe it's like the end of the regular season and they're like, great guys, we're done. What a great year. And pat yourself <laughs> in the back and we'll see you in March, right? I mean, listen, when they were, when a couple of years ago, when the Red Bulls, it was right before COVID, they put tarps in sections of the stadium and they were, and keep in mind, there are also tarps in Red Bull Arena in Salzburg, uh, in Austria, and they were wa widely chided by the league for, for doing that. And they just, they kind of said, Mark de Grandpre, who's the business head of the team, basically said, it is what it is which was so disappointing for me. I mean, he basically admitted during an interview with Franco Panizzo at Soccer by Ibis that they couldn't sell the tickets. Like, they they, they don't know. They've been at this for so long, um, and every year that they don't do well in the playoffs, more people bleed away, and they spend less time focused on it. They seem to be doing really well in the sponsorship area, which is great for them. Maybe they're making more in sponsorship revenue than they are in attendance revenue. I don't know. I, I really don't know what you, I don't know what you do. I have I have an MBA in marketing, but I, I, I mean, this is a case study. I, <laughs> I don't I don't begrudge. I mean, I, I really I feel for the guys that are that whose job it is to get people in the door because I don't know what I don't know what the answer is right now. And Mark, we did want to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about the MLS playoffs currently. We know there's only eight teams left in the East, Cincinnati, NYC, Philly, Montreal, uh, and in the West, both LA teams, Austin and Dallas. So just curious, who are you keeping an eye out on the East and who are you keeping an eye on the West? And who do you think kind of could take take the whole cup uh, just looking well, at it right now? Yeah, I mean, I would like to see Montreal get through uh, through the East basically because two of the other three teams make me want to you know hurt someone <laughs> i mean if cincinnati went on a cinderella run i guess that would be kind of cool because they are so talented going forward but montreal's done such wonderful stuff and they they that city is supporting that team and that's really really exciting they they get behind winners in montreal uh cincinnati still has the new the new team feel and you know i'm a new york fan so i'm not rooting for philly on the west side of the bracket, I mean, FC Dallas is one of the other two original 96 teams that haven't won MLS Cup, so we can't pick them. <laughs> I really, I've always been a fan of Josh Wolf uh, as a player, and I think he's doing some really cool things in Austin, and Felipe is in Austin. So, um, and that atmosphere, from what I understand, is terrific. I don't want to root for LAFC, LAFC because they're just attempting to buy the, the title, and um, I don't, it's just... I don't care for signing Christian Bale to get him leveled up to play the United States in the World Cup. Like, that doesn't do it for me. And the Galaxy, I mean, I think it would... I can't root for the Galaxy either. So I think, uh, for my money, an Austin-Montreal MLS Cup would be kind of fun. I don't think that will happen, but I guess that's both of the two seeds going through. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm going to put my support. Well, just... I know that you hate Philadelphia, Mark, but I think Jim Curtin is, uh, or the whole organization is what we expect it to be once. Just good scouting, good coaching, and being competitive in the field. So I think he's one of the team. He's one of the guys and one of the teams that they deserve to win MLS Cup, especially from what happened last year when they had to play against uh, NYC without their main starters. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, Mark, we I, I love football. And I love, I mean, I love soccer, but I just want to see that same thing with 
the New York Rebels. And I feel like if Philadelphia can do it, why are we so far behind? So that still paints. But anyways, yeah, Philadelphia is probably my main team to go through all the way. And on the Western Conference, I pick LA Galaxy to go through all the way. I think they've come a long way. And then Ricky Pooch has taken over uh, the team and they, they look very confident. And Chicharito wants to definitely go make a run for the cup. So I would have to agree with uh, with uh, Christian on the sense that Philly is kind of like that model that the Red Bulls originated and Philadelphia kind of grabbed and ran with it and perfected it in a way. They're even, I think, the second lowest payroll in the league, if I'm not mistaken. So why can't we be like them in, a, in, in certain aspects? Maybe, you know, like the continuity part. Jim Curran's been there for what seems uh, like a century. But I would like to see Montreal get the job done. Mark couldn't have said it any better. That team, that city supports that team through and through. Uh, I've met people just in the goings of life that have come from Montreal. And anytime I bring up that team, whether there was the, the impact iteration or CF Montreal, you always hear good things about it. And you always hear the local people really do support that club. So I would like to see them make the final. And yeah, I can't support another MLS original winning the title before the Red Bulls. So FC Dallas is going to lose against Austin. And I think that they get the job done against LAFC because that El Trafico match is going to be crazy in the playoffs. And with all the money that LAFC has spent, I can't see them dropping the ball against their their direct crosstown rivals. So I think uh, Montreal and Austin go through and hopefully uh, Montreal takes the cake. Kyoto with a, with a, with a brace maybe. I appreciate it, Vasa. Well, I'll just close off by uh, just giving a huge shout out to the NYCFC team for making it through. I mean, it was more than just that. Uh, you know, we witnessed history with Gonzalo Higuain's last game. So uh, shout out to Gonzalo Higuain for a heck of a career, 17 seasons and, you know, 17 years of, of giving us amazing football, you know, especially he's an Argentine legend. I'll just say, you know, NYCFC looked to have more of the possession, which they did. They outpossessed uh, Miami 52 to 48. Uh, 27 shots, nine on target versus Inter Miami's 12 shots and only four on target. I mean, I've been talking about Gabriel Pereira on that right wing being lethal. And again, he delivered. So amazing goal by him. Maxi Morales, I know Mark mentioned him as well. He's just been a glue to this team. Alex Collins with the senior guy, Sean Johnson, who I know have had a pivotal role in just that locker room and just kind of being those leaders of the team. And, you know, I think uh, Inter Miami spirits got really blown after that first goal. And it was a rainy night. It was cold. I mean, I think, you know, just making Inter Miami feel uncomfortable in that game was really pivotal, kind of blocking out and um, making it really difficult for Gonzalo Higuain as well, kind of pressing him and making sure that he felt really uncomfortable. And it's going to be a tough game against Montreal. We have our game upcoming uh, this upcoming Sunday against Montreal. Wilfred Nancy's boys, I know Vaz gives them a lot of credit. Uh, definitely a, a coach that isn't mentioned enough here in the MLS. And yeah, I mean, they got a, some quality players. Uh, Kai Kamara, Victor Monyama, Mihailovic, um, and, and Kyoto. So it's going to be a tough game. I mean, Christian Vaz, anything you want to say on that, on that last game before we get out of here? Credit to where credit is due to FC Cincinnati. We had on both Brandon Vasquez and Pat Newton earlier in the year. So if there's any team that I hate seeing my team lose. I fucking, I despise it. It's one of the worst things that I can experience. But if there's anyone to do it, it would be that class act of an individual, Brandon Vasquez. So shout out to, to them. And uh, hopefully you guys lose the next round of playoffs. I just want my team to have a competent front office who has a vision, 
on how to build championship teams. That's that's all I ask for. It's not on the players. I think the Rebels do a great thing on developing youth, uh, developing young players, but you can't just have young players lead you to a championship team. It doesn't, it, it, you need leaders. And we spoke about leaders all the time. And, you know, I think some heads need to roll. I know it may not happen, but there's got to be accountability. We can't just be mediocre year after year while the other teams, our cross-town rivals, are just continuing to be successful. So just want some changes for 2023. Yeah, I appreciate it, Christian. And Mark, we want to say thank you so much for coming on our show. Before we get out of here, if you could just please drop your handles, how can the fans find and connect with you? And any last words from you, Mark? Thank you so much again. Yeah, no, guys, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, keep it up. You guys are doing great work. You're getting amazing guests on your show, which is what it's all about. Fans can find me on Twitter at uh, the strange handle of Mark Fishkin. And then the, the Seeing Red podcast is Seeing Red NY on Twitter and Facebook, where the olds go for their social media. So um, I hope uh, you guys have nothing but success. Uh, rooting for you guys. And uh, enjoy the rest of the MLS playoffs. And we'll be back for more punishment starting in March. Appreciate it, Mark. And yes, thank you to all the MLS fans. Thank you guys for all the support. We'll be back next week talking the MLS playoffs, the Trafico, the, the New York-Montreal game, and a lot to look forward to for, for the Dallas games as well. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you guys next week for episode 78. Everyone take care and have a good one.